morning, everybody. What's up? Everybody good? Again, for you guys who are here, you guys joining us online, I am so grateful to have the opportunity to be here uh, today at DCC. Uh, again, I want to thank uh, Pastor Ben. And again, I want to thank Lindsay for you guys having me. Um, again, your pastor uh, has become a really incredible friend of mine, and I am incredibly grateful for his life. Um, me and Ben think a lot alike, okay? And so if you know me and Ben, we have conversations. We plan on hanging out an hour. It's never an hour, right? And so we have this thing now where we hang out about 9 o'clock at night, and it's about 1 o'clock at night. Lindsay's calling saying, hey, where are you? Um, and so he's like, no, 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 I'm with Adrian, all right? So it's all good. And so, um, but yeah, we, uh, but again, it's just, uh, he has my ability to be able to sit there and process and talk to him. It's been one of the incredible blessings, especially in the midst of this crazy time that we're living in. Uh, this is my second time actually preaching live or in front of people in four months. Last week was my first time. I was in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and then today I am here. So it's an honor to be with you guys. And so um, I pastor a church called Engage Church. Engage Church uh, started about seven years ago. Uh, it was 18 of us, and uh, it's, we are a church that's ethnically split right down the middle. We are 45% uh, white, 45% black, 10% other ethnicities, right? So, I mean, in our church, I say it, we have Make America Great Again. We have people really disappointed that people won't be able to fill the burn. We have people, black lives, blue lives. So how many of you guys know it's so incredible to pastor a church like that right now, right? Um, I don't know what I'm walking back into when we come back to live services, but I am incredibly excited uh, about the honor it is to pastor a church like that in this time because I believe that our part that we play at Engage is being that reality to where when people come in, just like it is here, it's just a taste of heaven. Because I believe when you go to heaven, there's not going to be all these different segmented groups of people, but we're going to be God's people gathering together. And so I believe that this time, this hour that we're living in is one of the greatest times that you could ever be alive. It's one of the greatest times I think it could be as Jesus followers on this planet. Why? It's because, let me tell you this, to see God move in this moment is going to take an absolute move of his spirit for that to happen. But I believe it absolutely is going to happen. So as a lot of people are doom and gloom, I am not. I'm full of incredible faith and hope. And I hope you know this DCC that God has placed you in this place right here for this time to to be such an influence and an impact in this city. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive in today and continue in our, in our series, Uncommon Influencers, through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is my favorite book in all of Scripture. So um, we are actually doing a series in Engage, and we're on week 14, okay, of doing it. So you guys know I love this book, okay? So you're going to have a lot of fun. I want to encourage you before we go, buckle your seatbelt, okay? I want you to hear this before I start. I love all of you, okay? I love all of you. I'm a really nice guy, I promise you, okay? I really am. But what I I want to make us come to a place as this. We're going to talk today on this issue of justice. We're going to talk on this issue of justice. And I know when I say that word justice, that becomes a trigger word for some people, okay? That becomes a trigger word. So all of a sudden now you're panicking. Oh my God, this black dude's on stage about to talk about justice. What's about to happen? Or for some of you, you're super excited. Yes, social justice. Let me just tell you, I'm probably going to offend everybody today, okay? But I love you. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for these incredible people here. God, help us in this time that we have. God, we thank you more than anything else that we would understand that justice matters to you. That justice matters to you. God, help us open our hearts to actually hear what actually biblical justice is. Not what a political party says it is. Not what our fear says it's not. But what does your Bible say about justice? We love you, we honor you, and we thank you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. I'll be reading the first 13 verses, uh, starting in Nehemiah 
5. I'll be reading from a New Living Translation this morning. Um, so it says this, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families and we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields and vineyards and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we had borrowed money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters. We are helpless to do anything about it. For our fields and vineyards are, all, are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials and told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging them interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who, have, who had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. You should, I'm not, you should, not, walk, uh, sorry, should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by the enemy nations. I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop the business of charging interest. You must restore their fields and vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. And repay the interest you charge them when you, when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back to everything, demanded nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. And in verse 13, I shook out the folds of my robes and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. And the whole assembly responded, amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they promised. This is the reading of God's word. The title of my sermon is this, Apply Pressure. It's called Apply Pressure. So, uh-oh, there we go. Drop my key. So sorry for online. This is just what you have to live with, okay? So here we go. Is that, so this idea today of apply pressure, apply pressure. So what we see is Nehemiah in this moment where Nehemiah begins to apply pressure. And on this idea of justice. See, when I say this thing of justice, I want to kind of start from the beginning of the story of Nehemiah a little bit to get to this point. Because as we know, if you've been in part of this series, is that Nehemiah was a man who was not born in Israel. He was a man who was born into slavery. And Nehemiah served as a cupbearer to the king. And matter of fact, while he was in Susa, the king's summer home, um, uh, he gets this word. God impacts his heart. God, he hears, new, hears old news in a new way. And this, the spirit of God changes Nehemiah in this moment to where he begins to weep and to cry over people. Now, at that point in time, it was almost 100 years that the people of Israel were taken into captivity. So it wasn't like this was new news, but it was, it was old news that hit a man in a new way. And so for three months, Nehemiah fasted and prayed. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted and prayed. Like, the longest I've ever fasted and prayed was 10 days, okay? And literally at the end of, like, day, like, not, like one, I literally would have, like, sold my child, okay, for, like, a Big Mac. But here's the thing. So just imagine for three months you fast and you pray, and, and he gets a hold of God's heart, and we know the story where God, where God does a miraculous thing through the king, and he sends him. And what we see in, in chapter 4 from last week is that Nehemiah, they're building a wall, but there's opposition, right? Sambalot and Tobiah, you're going to hear more about 
about them, all right? They were like pre-internet trolls, okay? And so these pre-internet trolls are coming at him. And, and now today what we see is that Nehemiah was not only facing opposition from outside, but he began to face opposition from within. He was facing opposition from within because the people of Israel were treating other countrymen in an unjust manner that they were violating the Levitical law by charging interest. See, not only was there this spiritual famine in the land, but there was an economic recession that was happening. And these people were in debt, so much so they had to sell their own family members into slavery. And Nehemiah hears that. And he sits there and he cannot not respond because he sees justice not happening among the people. See, when I say this word justice, what does it make you think about? See, in today's heightened political culture and this heightened, this world we live in with social, we say justice and everybody already has their thoughts of what justice means. Some of us right now, you say justice and all you think of is Black Lives Matter. And maybe you don't agree. And so if you don't agree, here's what you do. You dismiss justice. Or maybe you're in here, you're like, yes, you love that word justice. But your idea of justice is formed by a political ideology. It's not formed by the word of God. But see, what we have to understand and what we're going to learn today is that justice matters to God. So regardless if one political party talks more about justice, that does not give us the right to not want to see justice actually happen. But many of us, what we're starting to realize is that we've been more in bed with our political ideologies than we've been in bed with the word of God. That we actually love his word and what God says. And this is on both sides. For some of you, you are more steep in this social ideology that is said by a political party than you are the word of God. And yet and still, God still cares about justice. And so here's the question for all of us in this room. What are you doing about it? Because it is very easy to hide behind political thought, to hide behind people weaponizing it and whatever. But at the end of the day, we all will stand before God and give an account for what we did on this side of life. And justice matters to God. And today what we're going to learn, actually, what is justice? We're going to see in the story of Nehemiah. Now, I could unpack biblical justice in a way and go through it, but um, my friends at the Bible Project, uh, Tim Mackey, Tim Mackey had the privilege, I think Tim Mackey's one of the best Bible teachers in all of the world right now, and I've had the privilege of learning from Pastor Tim, and so the Bible Project, if you've never heard of it, it's an incredible resource, see it on YouTube, they did a phenomenal job and video on this idea of justice, so I want you to take a couple minutes to check out this quick video on this idea of justice. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world 
by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. 
But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, this is John and Tim from The Bible Project. Thanks for watching this video. This was a theme video where we take one biblical motif and trace it from beginning to end. We also righteousness and justice. So regardless of whoever weaponizes it, and I get that people weaponize justice. I get at times that people have a wrong view of justice, but yet and still, it does not change the fact that God cares about it. And when we stand before God, you're not going to be able to blame the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or Black Lives or Blue Lives when it comes to the idea of justice. God will look at us and says, what did you do with what I gave you? And today it is so amazing to me where we talk about personal responsibility, but yet and still we blame others for why we don't do justice. It's amazing to me how we can keep pointing to another side and say, well, if this side would begin to do justice, but God is asking a question for us in this room and those who are joining online and those who watch this video, what are you doing about justice? Because we know Genesis 3, sin has entered the world and that is what humanity has done. From that moment, what humans have done has always been this, it's to go and to take power and to lord it over and to treat people unfairly. And see, we see what Nehemiah, Nehemiah allows pressure to be applied. See, the first thing that God begins, I believe, to apply pressure with Nehemiah was this. He begins to apply pressure emotionally. First, emotionally. Okay, so here's the deal about that. See, it says this. It says Nehemiah was very angry. So now, we read the Bible and we sanitize it, right? 
we read the Bible and we're like, oh, like we just kind of, he's angry. Hold on. Like, you know, like, you know, he's probably was just, you know, he kind of had a moment and, you know, he wasn't really that angry. You know, he kind of probably just went to his prayer closet and started praying. No, no, no. Nehemiah was big mad on this one, right? Like energy was all the way up. See, what we tend to do, see, we think, of mo- we think anger is like, oh my gosh, we can't get angry. Like, don't get angry, don't get angry. The Bible actually tells us it says to anger, but sin not. See, many times, and I think you guys do a really good job here of talking on the idea of emotional health and the gospel here at DCC. But many times, unfortunately, within the church context and space, we don't talk about this idea of emotions that well. And so here's what happens. Many times we don't have no understanding God, from the gospel of what emotions look like and what emotions mean. And see, here's what we see. We've seen in Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel. We see why Cain ultimately killed his brother. Why? Because he felt some type of way. See, God doesn't come down to Cain and says, hey, Cain, stop being mad. Hey, Cain, stop being angry. He asks Cain why. But he says, if you continue to go along this path, Cain, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start to act some type of way. You're going to do something. Sin is crouching at your door. See, the idea of anger isn't this all this bad thing. It's a part of the human experience. But see, what we have to understand is that an emotion, listen, emotions invoke us to do something. And I want to ask you, do you ever get upset at all when you see injustice? And see, I know some of you are wondering, am I just talking this idea of race? Sorry about that. This idea of race in America. No. Does it ever bother you of realizing when children are killed in the womb, does that bother you? Does it bother you when those in corporate America can take power and exploit people? For eight minutes and 46 seconds, did it bother you to watch a man lose his life? Does it bother you the economic wealth gap in the city that we live in? Does it bother you that where this church is planted and where it's at, the impact of people who are around here that maybe don't have the same shake at life as maybe the kids on the northeast side of town? Does that bother you? And I know you're going to say to me, well, hold on, listen. People have to take personal responsibility. But let me always remind you of this, is that the gospel we actually preach, it's predicated on a man taking responsibility for us. Yeah, I'm sorry. I love you. But yet still we claim a gospel. We preach this good news about Jesus, and we said, yes, he died for us. We're singing it today about this Jesus who died on the cross in our place for our sins. But yet still we have the audacity to look at someone else and say, pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, when yet and still someone pulled us up. See, does it ever bother you? When we say, well, why don't you just care about, hey, we talk about Black Lives Matter. I know, you know, hey, it's only very few people get killed by police officers and all this. And, and why are we not talking about black-on-black crime in Chicago? Here's my question I'm going to ask you. Does it bother you that those are image bearers of God dying regardless of their color? Where there's been a gun that has gone off in Chicago every day. Every day someone has been shot in Chicago for the last 10 years. Does it bother you? Does it grip my heart when I see kids? Does it grip your heart 
when kids in our own city who come from affluent places are struggling with depression, anxiety, opioid addiction, does it bother you? But see, what we tend to do is we don't allow the Spirit of God to apply pressure on things in our lives, to apply pressure on the emotional sides of our lives. Does it bother you? See, that's what happened with Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah began to be angry, and here's why. It's because Nehemiah had a heart for those people. See, I love how John Tyson says it this way. Most people, at best, we get to empathy, at best. But it starts with sympathy and empathy. He's like, but here's the third thing that you have to get to. You eventually have to get to agony. Do you ever agonize over a people? Do you ever agonize over a situation? Do you ever have a moment that keeps you up at night where it makes you weep and cry, where you begin to pray and you begin to seek after God? Do you ever agonize? Because that's what happened with Nehemiah. Remember, three months he fasted and prayed. So when they were treating uh, the people unfairly, Nehemiah took it personally. Why? He didn't know those people prior to coming there. He didn't have this deep relationship with them, but he prayed and fasted. He got God's heart for God's people and his heart began to break. And so let me tell you this, black, white, Latino agent does not matter. They're image bearers of God. Does your heart ever break for those people? Do you allow the gospel to apply pressure emotionally? Or do you hide? See, here's the next thing that happens with Nehemiah is that pressure was applied mentally. Because, see, I love what he says here. Because, again, you guys know this is Nehemiah's personal memoirs. He says this. He goes on and he says, listen... Not only was he angry when he heard it, but then he began to ponder and think. See, Nehemiah just didn't sit there and say, you know what? I'm just going to be so mad and angry, and I'm just going to tweet about it. Like, I just tell you guys, like, I love you, but like your tweets and blackout squares mean nothing. Oh, your Facebook posts. Because if we don't know, like, Mark Zuckerberg's a genius. And so you know what he does? It's just an algorithm of anything you like. See, the, the problem with Facebook is many of y'all think that everybody thinks the way you think. It's just, no, they put stuff that you actually like. Some of you are like, wow, really? Yes, that's how it works. You ever notice that's why when you start talking, I just bought a dog, which I don't know why, right? I don't know why I just bought a dog, all right? No one can, like, I, I said I would never do this, okay? But I bought a dog. And so now, all of a sudden, man, like, I mean, the Facebook, the Facebook, like, secret service is out. Because I will say, man, I need to get a dog leash. And I open that thing up, boy, I got every dog leash on the planet. <laughs> man, I need to get a new pair of shoes. And, and, man, it's every, well, here's the thing. They profile you. So here's my point, though. But I want to say this because many of you think your Facebook posts actually are changing things. And I want to be really clear with you is that if you, listen, the same energy that you post with with your fingers better be the same energy you have when you look somebody in their eyes. See, the game changes when you got to look another person in their face. And see, here's what we do, though. But most of us, we just tweet about it. We talk about it. We put it in our stories. But here's the question. Does it ever lead you to any type of strategy to do anything about it? Or do you hide behind the fact of, well, our government should do it? How's that been working out for us on any side of the aisle? But see, Nehemiah, not only did he talk about this idea of he was angry and it was just there, but he began to put a plan in place. We see constantly through Nehemiah's life, he put plans in place. He actually took his emotion and then he put a plan in place. He began to have a strategy. And so here's the question. Do you ever think about how you 
can begin to have a strategy to begin to go after justice. I don't know what that may be for you. I don't know what angle that is for you. And I'm not here to say you. I know, again, I want to clarify this. As a black man standing in front of you, I'm not talking on this issue only of race in America, but I want to ask you, do you ever do anything when it comes to justice? Is there ever a plan that you have? See, that's why I love being here at DCC, because I think what you guys are doing with hope is an amazing thing. See, Pastor Ben and I talk sometimes in his deep desire to see this church make an impact, especially in the community he lives in. And he asked me one time, I was like, man, I just, and, and, and as a real concern, I like, man, I want to make sure that people who don't look like me feel welcome when they come in here. What can I do? And see, the thing on this idea today, we talk about building diverse spaces, we tend to want to go to, man, okay, like, okay, we want everybody to sit next to each other, and we want people to come in and do this. And I never forget looking at, at Ben, and I said, Pastor Ben, listen, let me just tell you this, man, like, look, what you guys are doing with Hope School, that is one of the greatest things that you could ever do to really bring justice and really add real value to this community. People are always saying, well, I don't know what to do. You have it here. Get involved. Why? It's because it's a great thing. You taking your ability and your skill set, many of you in this room, college students and on and on, what? You take your skills and your ability, the power that you have, and you actually give power away. You actually begin to serve other people. But you have to have a strategy that's in place. So here's the question. What are you doing with justice? That is why this political ideology in our political moment makes me so angry. Here's why. Because no one ever gives me anything. And you know what I stopped doing? Is I stopped asking and we just start doing so does it ever invoke you to put a plan together? Here's the third and final thing. This idea of pressure is applied physically. See, I love what Nehemiah does. See, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. Nehemiah calls everybody out. He says, no, 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 no. He didn't just say, you know what, hey, guys, you know, I'm going to write you a little note and, uh, you know, put it out there and say, hey, if you decide to, like, want to stop leveraging people and making them sell their family members into slavery, hey, just whenever you feel like it, whenever the Spirit of God moves you to do it. No, no, no. Nehemiah goes and says this. He calls an assembly of people. First of all, he confronts them face to face. That's why I love Nehemiah, because Nehemiah was so about that action. Like, he didn't wait. He didn't say, well, you know what, hey, no, 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 you guys are doing this. Now I'm about to sit down with you and talk about it. So Nehemiah brings them together, and he says, hey, what you are doing is wrong, because first and foremost, you are acting like the people who we are being captured by. Do you understand that they were in slavery and bondage? People were exploiting them, and now their own countrymen were exploiting other countrymen. And now, all of a sudden, people were selling their kids into slavery. Do you not realize? that we are once this great nation and we are acting below what God has called us to act. And so he confronts them and then he doesn't stop there. He goes from that moment and he brings the entire people group out. He brings everybody in the city. Some of us would be like, hold on, man, that's a little bit too much, right? Like Matthew 18, he confronted him. No, he wanted everyone to know, I know what's going on. And these men, what they said to me privately, they're about to say it to you publicly. He began to put feet to his faith and his action. And so Nehemiah goes and he applies pressure. And we see this moment begin to change and shift in all of Israel. Where these men said, no, 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 we realize we're wrong. And we're not going to do this anymore. Do you understand that Nehemiah himself had every right, you'll read this later in chapter 5, to take an allowance, but he never did. Nehemiah lived as someone with moral authority. 
See, one of my big things right now is that I'm being asked to come in and talk to people in so many different places, churches, corporate America, whatever, on this idea of race and diversion and inclusion. And one of my biggest issues I have right now is there are a lot of people today that they talk about things that they themselves have never lived. The internet has made people experts and they talk well above their level of execution. But see why Nehemiah had such power because he had this kingdom authority behind him because you know what he did? He actually lived it. What he was asking them to do was something he didn't do himself. Some of you are asking people to do stuff that you don't do yourself. That some of you sit on the side of a political aisle yelling, hey, if the, I'm just gonna say straight up, if these right-wing conservatives would start doing this, we could get somewhere. And here's the question, I hear a lot of people saying that, but my question, I point right back to what in the world are you doing? Because you cannot export something that you don't have. If justice does not matter to you, if you've not lived it, if you've not been a practitioner, you can't tell someone to do something with any power and authority that will ever change. That is why our nation is where it's at. It's because there's many people talking, and all the talking heads are those who do not execute. And what I believe God wants to raise up in our moment is his people who are about justice to begin to have a voice and to begin to create action in the world to see God change. There's no greater time for God's people. Why? It's because this is at the heart of our God of justice, of building places and spaces where people can come in and they don't have to morph to a certain thing. They can be who God called them to be and we can lift them up and pull them up and it changes everything. And let me tell you this, DCC, this is not going away. Our current cultural moment is not going away. But I believe that if we're willing to jump in and get in there, God wants to do something amazing in this city. This city is so racially divided. This city is so economically divided. And God is just looking for people to say, no, I'm going to stand in the gap. No, God can use me. No, God, whatever you need from me, count me in. Or will you just keep hiding behind your political ideology? Because 2020, November is coming. Do you know that's like the day I can't stand right now? Especially the church I pastor. My whole goal is just not people kill each other. As we come to a close, here's what I want to say to you. You may be wondering right now, hold on, Pastor. It's my rights. You're in pushing what you think on me. It's my right. I don't like what this other side of the aisle is doing. I don't like that. They're pushing what they think. And so I'm, I'm not doing that because it's my right as an American. I have the freedom to make whatever choices I want to make. But I want to remind you of the Bible. Because if you're a Jesus follower, that is what your allegiance is to, not to the Constitution. I am incredibly thankful for the Constitution. And I'm saying as a black man that at one point in time it says I was three-fifths a person. But we won't go there, all right? <laughs> yeah, we will for one second, okay? <laughs> here's the deal. <laughs> I want you guys to understand this because here's the thing. You, and, and, and again, you want to know why we're in our current cultural moment. Let's say biblically speaking. Do you know that African-Americans 
enslaved for 400 years, only had rights for the last, full rights on the last 60 plus years. Do you know my father, who's still alive, drank from a different color water fountain? Do you know in 1988, when I went to my parents to go sell their first house in Knoxville, Tennessee, the realtor walks in and says, if you want to sell your house fast, you need to take every picture down. Do you know that in the city of Tallahassee, I never look at commercial real estate with someone who looks like me because I, the first time I did it, the looks I get. See, like we think this is, listen, we're in this place because you know why? It's because we are living in the realities of what we've birthed. That does not mean I don't love our country. That does not mean if I travel the world, I love our country. I don't want to live anywhere else. But to just be so to not have any empathy of the fact that we're just living in the reality, it is insane. And when I watch Jesus' followers have no empathy of that, because here's why, is because you're just upset because another political party, unfortunately, has weaponized this idea. And let me tell you, but at the end of the day, your heart should cry out. You should wanna know why are we here in this moment? And we are here because of what has happened, but I believe that God is in the midst of wanting to change it. But you say, well, that's not my problem. I didn't own slaves. I didn't participate in Jim Crow. Do you understand that in America, we have this unbelievable ability to do something that people have never done before? We think so much as these individuals. But see, when you read the gospel, Romans 5, because the one man's sin, sin fell to all of us. You may not have participated in Jim Crow. You may not participate in slavery. But some of us, we have been benefactors of it. We're the only generator, the only group that thinks only as an individual world. And here's what you say, well, like, I didn't do this. That's not my problem. My rights are not to do that. But let me tell you this. I want to remind you of what Paul writes. Let's pull this up in Philippians. We got it, we got it, we got it. There we go. But being emptied of himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And here's what I want to say to this. Right at the beginning, it says this, that he laid aside his rights as God. Do you understand that you were bought? Do you understand that your life is not your own? And so you know what that means? You were no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. You know what happens when someone is a slave? They have no rights. You are no longer your own. So here's what I mean. Jesus himself, God himself, who lived a perfect life, who had no sin, that on the cross... He laid aside his what? His rights as God. He didn't jump into God mode. He died. As a man, he felt the pain on the cross that his flesh was ripped out. He was ridiculed. He was embarrassed. Shame was put aside upon him. He laid aside his rights as God. For what? So that we can come into God's family. And so the audacity that we have to say it's my rights when our God laid down his rights as a perfect human in order for us to come into God's family. So who am I to ever say that my life is my own, that my life is not mine? Because this models the gospel. I call to lay it down for the glory of God. And some of you are so arrogant that you actually think God needs you. You really think God needs you. You really think God cares about your political affiliation. You really think, oh God, we get to serve in the kingdom of God that when I die, 
I'm going to have to give an account for what I did with this life and let it not be said that I voted to the left or I voted to the right, but let it be said I laid down my life for my city I live in, for my family, for the nation I live in, and let it be said in my life that this place was better because I was here and God's kingdom advanced. DCC, here's the question. Those here, those online, what are you doing about justice? Does it matter to you? Father, I thank you so much. While we're in this attitude of prayer, I don't know where you're at, but if you're in here, you're online, wherever. And you're realizing this, man, I haven't cared about justice. I really haven't. I just really haven't cared about justice. And I'm not just talking about justice ethically. I'm talking about just, man, seeing people just those who were in the womb, who were being aborted to, man, economic injustice, man, seeing injustice to, to those of, of, of women, to see injustice, I just, I don't ever care about it. But you're realizing right now the Spirit of God is convicting you. And you're saying, God, I want to be counted as, if that's you, see, I want you to do something for me. And it's going to be a bold thing for you to do, maybe if you're watching online, is that I want you to stand to your feet, because I want to pray for you today. If you're saying, God, I haven't cared about justice like this. See, like, there's something about response when we have these moments. God bless you. Like we, we should respond when the Spirit hits us. Maybe you need to respond today because maybe God's saying, you want to be counted in right now because you want to go somewhere. Maybe you realize, I got to do something. And you're saying, God, count me in to go do something. See, if that's you, I want you to stand here. I want to pray for you today. Listen, there's something about, we just don't want to hear messages that just kind of go and then we don't do anything with it. And so even if you're watching this online, wherever you're at, stand to your feet. Father, I thank you for those who are responding right now. And God, what I pray for them is simply this, is that God, you would empower them by your spirit to go. That you would empower them to go. That God, that they would seek righteousness and justice. That Father, they wouldn't live anymore according to their own ways, but live according to you. God, we thank you because you yourself, Jesus, came to die for us. And we are now righteous because you were righteous. You came, God. We treated you in an unjust manner. God, what an incredible king you are, Jesus, that you extended to us righteousness. God, help these people to go forth. God, I pray that you would begin to speak to them. I pray they would seek your face. You would tell them where they should go and how they should begin to experience and begin to bring justice to this world. We love you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.